This is Outside Shots, a college basketball betting podcast with Eli Hershkovich. Seven seconds to go. Three-pointer. Double and Scott Phillips. <laughs> Covering game by game odds and futures markets. Thomas, Shake, crossover, step back. Ah! It's outside shots, presented by the Lions. Back here on Outside Shots, the Lions College Basketball Betting Podcast. Remember to give the video a thumbs up, subscribe, and ring the bell to get notifications whenever a new episode on college hoops, NFL, NBA, any sports betting market is up. The Lions is also giving away a $25 Amazon gift card in our daily college hoops pick'em contest. For more details, head over to Play dot the lines.com and as always join the lines discord channel to get notifications when we place bets on any sport including college basketball my name is Eli Herskovich the host of outside shots alongside my guest today at circus sports in Vegas Matt Metcalf you can follow him on Twitter at double impact director of Circa Sports. What's going on today, Matt? Not much, Eli. Thanks for having me. Of course, a loaded college hoop Saturday, so pumped to talk college basketball with you. And the first time you're on with us at thelines.com. So everybody wants to know when it's the first guest and you work in the sports book industry, first time listening to you. How did you get your start in the sports book industry? Yes, yeah, so I grew up obsessed with sports betting, probably since the time I was too young to be obsessed with it, probably about 13 or 14 years old. Uh, graduated college from the University of Florida in about 2001 and the next year I decided to head to Vegas just you know not a lot of options for somebody obsessed with sports betting in Florida in Florida at the time <laughs> drove out here uh, got a job at the Imperial Palace under Jay Cornegay uh, worked there for about three months as a writer moved my way up to supervisor and then eventually when that team kind of migrated over to the Las Vegas Hilton um, now the Westgate uh, I think it was 2004 when that happened. I moved over there as part of a four-person management team. Eventually rose to assistant sportsbook manager over there. Um, left the, I don't want to say left the industry, but left the this side of the counter in 2010 to become a professional sports better for about eight years, uh, focused on NASCAR, college football, college basketball, and then kind of got the itch to kind of, you know, do what I came out here to do, which was be involved in sports betting and being a bookmaker. So. In 2018, I met up with Derek Stevens, who offered me a job to run Circa Sports, which was not a thing at the time. There was no Circa. There was no Circa Sports. I thought, in terms of what I thought I was getting into, I thought I was running one sports book at the Golden Gate. So hired to do that. And then about six months later, he kind of unveiled his master plan of creating this brand new casino called Circa Sports, or excuse me, called Circa, and then this uh, chain of sports books called Circa Sports. So What and. Obviously, you have your nationwide sports books that we work with, DraftKings and FanDuel. Our guy Jeff Benson has a lot of opinions about those books. But generally speaking to the average sports better, what separates circus sports from all these other sports books that are legal in a bunch of different markets? I think we're, we're bookmakers who are also betters. And we built a sports book that is catering to people who take sports betting seriously. And people who take it seriously care about price, they care about limits, they care about consistency. So when we built Circa, we really thought about all these things and we really do our best to put ourselves in the better shoes and ask, you know, when we sign onto an app, how do we want to interact with betting? And, you know, a lot of times when Jeff's talking on Twitter, I think he comes off in a, in a way where, you know, he's being very 
aggressively um, kind of targeting some of what we call like the recreational books who are kind of just after entertainment, you know, recreational players. And I think the reason we do that is because we care about the way we love sports betting, which is more as a market approach or a financial based type approach. And so if anything, we're just kind of like defending our side of sports betting and making enough noise where people realize there's more to sports betting than the DraftKings FanDuel approach, just opening the doors and saying, oh, I'm sorry, you win. We don't want you. So, you know, we're the place for people who take it seriously and want to get down real money. And, you know, we're also the place for recreational bettors as well. Like our product can be interacted with by anyone, any level, any skill level, you know, you're welcome at Circus Sports. So. And getting back to college basketball, I would say, and feel free to disagree, this is the most parity we've seen in a college basketball season since 2013-2014 when UConn, the number seven seed that year, obviously a team that underperformed in the regular season, but Shabazz Napier, Ryan Boatwright, they beat Kentucky, number eight seed in the national title game. So how would you say your futures portfolio differs this year in terms of college basketball futures to win it all than previous seasons like the last handful? Well, I, I've started it the same way. And normally the way I start my portfolio, this is as a better, is looking for what I think is a, an overpriced favorite to some degree. So in past years, you know, if I thought Gonzaga was the best team and I knew that I could start shopping them, you know, I don't know, October, during, during football season still, September, October, and get a good price on them. You know, maybe get like 12, 14, 16 to 1 when I thought they were going to be 6, 7 to 1 once the year started. You can really build a quality portfolio when you have the favorite at high odds. And I know, you know, high odds is relative to some people, but I'll give you an example. Like, you know, I've gone through my stuff and done my work and you know, I started adjusting numbers early in the season. I think after about a week, I had kind of targeted that Houston was my highest power rated team. And at that point, there were still 12 to ones available. And to me, you know, looking at what I had seen from some of the blue bloods at that point, getting a team like Houston, who I was pretty sure of their number being, you know, the best by four points or so, um, getting them at 12 to one and betting as much as I can on that gives me a ton of leeway to start making other bets. And then, you know, I really make probably like 80% of my bigger bets in the first month. And what I'm really doing is I'm trying to see who has the capability to play to a higher power rating number. And so your thought would be like normally, okay, we have a team like, you know, Duke's playing Kansas, Kansas beats Duke by two. Okay, I want to bet them. I would say I extract most of my intel about a team when they're playing the crappier teams, when they're the big favorite. Because I can really see when, when Houston plays as a 26-point favorite and I have to go back and rework my line and I said if they played again, I'd make them a 34-point favorite. All of a sudden, you're really starting to see the teams that can put distance on the field. And everything I'm trying to do is understand who has the highest ceiling. And so I don't necessarily learn that from the games where they're evenly matched. I learn that from early in the season against the blowout games. So that's really what I focus on. And then you just start building your portfolio kind of like that. And all of a sudden, you know, you know, if you have good numbers starting off the year, you, you're entitled to make some bets that are kind of on the fringe because it's kind of like the implied odds that you're getting because you've covered, you know, all these other good teams. You can make a bet like TCU today at 40 to 1 and feel comfortable to get value, whereas if you had no portfolio, that wouldn't be a bet I'd recommend. And TCU down to 20 to 1 after their win over Oklahoma State on Saturday at Circus Sports. But you mentioned Houston and they're priced at 7 to 1. You got them at plus 1,200 to win the national title, the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament per the mock tournament projections by the tournament committee earlier today as we're recording this on Saturday afternoon. Now, you mentioned the Cougars and obviously being a massive favorite in the AAC play against some of these lower power rated teams in their own conference. 
but strength of schedule for other batters that are looking at the futures market might play a role when they look at a team like the Cougars that have played some of this lower tier competition. But then you also have to factor in some of the high major teams don't want to play Houston, uh, a team that's led by one of the best defensive coaches in the country in Calvin Sampson. Really good defensive backcourt, really good backcourt overall, led by Marcus Sasser. You have a five-star big in Jarris Walker. And you look at previous Houston teams led by Sampson, they don't have that top-tier player, or at least a five-star player like Walker this season. But when I look at them defensively, over the last month per Bart Torvik, Houston is ranked number 70 in adjusted defensive efficiency. So this might not be the elite Houston defense that we've seen in years past. Do you think they're a little more vulnerable, even though you have a position on them? Yeah, they've definitely showed some vulnerability in the past, you know, two months. I, I hadn't. It's it's not the it's not the stretch kind of that it was over the field in the early in the year. Um, I, I do think college basketball plays a little differently, and I think it kind of mirrors the pros to some degree. I think these teams understand that they're pacing themselves to a much better degree over the course of the year, and I think defense does slide when they don't need to play it in certain spots. Sure. So my thought small is, sample too. No, d- definitely, but you know. In terms of just teams that have kind of shown that they could compete to the number that excuse me that Houston plays to, Alabama has obviously really shown that they're capable of playing to just a huge number. I mean, at some points, I want to say Alabama has shown to me that they could play to a number two to three points higher than Houston on their best day. Um, and then you have a team like Purdue who has touched Houston's level and has touched Alabama to some degree, but they're much more capable of turning in a clunker and playing to a low number at any time. And that's been the one difference to me this year. You've got teams playing to this range of numbers where in past years I felt like, you know, a two point, three point kind of like window was pretty good to cover a team. But honestly, you know, I've seen Purdue show up and look like they're, you know, Superman one day and then play to a number that's eight points worse the next the next day. And so it just really feels I mean, Tennessee's a prime example of this. On any given day, Tennessee could be considered the best team in the country, and then you wake up the next morning and they can lose by twenty to anybody. I mean, <laughs> it's just it's really that kind of thing. And I and I don't know how to really explain it um, in general, but I, but I do know that it definitely creeps into my futures betting and I have to think about it a little differently because, you know, there's no super teams and everybody's vulnerable. Like you said, the parity is just out of control. So, you know, you're kind of left betting this, this group of teams where you're like, yeah, they, they could show up and win. But I mean, there's 20 teams that you can make an argument that have a shot at the title this year, which is very rare in my head. I mean, to me, usually I'm looking at, you know, six to eight teams that I think realistically have a shot. Right, and you mentioned Purdue, Zach Eady, the Wooden Award favorite, the monster odds-on Wooden Award favorite. I think he's priced at minus 1,400 at most books or around that number. But you also mentioned how Purdue is vulnerable on most nights. And just to compare it to your how you rate a team like Houston, where they're a massive favorite, sure, Purdue might cover a big number, but then you watch them play against a team like Iowa that can press you. And Fran McCaffrey has done that a lot against Matt Painter-led teams in years past. And especially with a freshman-laden backcourt in March in Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer, it's a concern because Purdue is the highest turnover rate in Big Ten play. So I guess going towards Purdue next, we'll get to the Big 12 after that. And then the SEC, a team like Tennessee that you mentioned. How vulnerable is Purdue then when you look at them being, I think, the third shortest odds at Circa to win it all? I'm kind of biased on this because I've been a Purdue and a Matt Painter hater for probably as long as I can remember. I mean, I made so many bets on Purdue through the years where, you know, I grabbed a 60 to 1 or an 80 to 1 during the season when I had them like really towards the top of my power ratings. And 
I, I've just never seen – I got to a point where I was like, I'm not betting this Purdue team ever again. I say that every year, <laughs> and I have a ticket in my, in my wallet on Purdue. But, you know, this team does feel a little different um, in terms of just, you know, having that quality big guy and being reliable in a sense. And, they, and they've won they've won more games um, to me that I didn't expect them to win. It's just been a little more consistent. But I never really entirely trust Purdue covering a number. I'm, I'm always wary of betting them as a favorite, so I really have to pick my spots on them because, you know, to me they're, they're just – they find a way to win, but they just don't ever really make it easy. And so that's kind of been my experience with Purdue through the years. And so, yeah, I, I need to overcome my personal bias in, in discussing them. Yeah, I feel like I hate on Purdue pretty much every college basketball podcast I do. I was on them last year, and I was pissed off that Matt Painter was splitting the minutes between Travion Williams right. and Zach Eady. Then again, it kind of shows this year that maybe Eady was the better player between those two guys. But over to the Big 12, if I go back to the mock tournament or mock NCAA tournament that we saw earlier today among the top 16 seeds, five of them coming from the Big 12. And Kansas was had the shortest odds to be the, I think, the fourth number one overall seed in this projected bracket. They're at 12 to 1 at Circa as we're recording this. And they're also down big to Baylor as we're recording this podcast at Allen Fieldhouse. But the Jayhawks, one of the favorites to win it all at 12 to 1. Baylor and Texas right up after that, both projected to be two seeds at 18 to 1. Iowa State and K-State at number three seeds, respectively. This, these Cyclones are at 35 to 1 to win it all at Circus Sports before these games conclude today. And Kansas State at 50 to 1, led by Keontae Johnson. So among those five teams, TCU obviously in the mix. They blow out Oklahoma State as low as 20 to 1, the Horn Frogs are, and that's coming at Circus Sports. So among all these six teams, pick one or pick a couple you want to discuss here that you think might be valuable come the tournament. No, I mean, we can run through a bunch of them. I, I don't see any, like, I just don't like Kansas. I, I think they, they can play to a high number. They can beat anybody, but they, they're also really vulnerable to me. They, they play, they're, they're not particularly disciplined to me. They don't appear well coached when I watch them. Um, I, I just really don't like them as a tournament team. Them winning six games in a row just doesn't feel likely to me. Um, Baylor's definitely been coming on strong to me the past you know two weeks. I, I, I like what they do, but they seem a little too dependent on three-point shooting. You know, Top-rated three-point shooting team in the conference. Yeah, and if they get cold, it just looks like they, 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 can, lose, you know, they can lose a game pretty easily. I, I was trying to think of the game. I think I bet TCU as a dog versus them when I thought Miles or I thought somebody Last week. Yeah, plus two and a half. And... You know, I, I really like the spot for TCU, and I'm watching this game, and they're up 10 with, like, 7 to go, and then Baylor just starts hitting threes, and I'm like, I'm dead. I'm like, you know, <laughs> they, they had no shot, and Baylor just kind of... Small dog loses its gone. composure down the stretch. It was just gone immediately, and I, and I knew it was over right when Baylor hit, like, the first three. Um, but, yeah, I, there's a lot of teams in there I like. I, I've liked Iowa State all year. You know, they're, they're so dependent kind of on being that tough team and playing defensively that they do get in trouble once in a while and, and you know, struggle to score once in a while, but I, I really like what they're doing. Uh, TCU, when I watch them, they appear extremely well coached. Um, I, I like I like how they really, you know, move on offense. They penetrate a lot and then either dump it off to a cutter or they kick it out for three. I mean, they, they just know – they look like they know what they're trying to do on offense and they can score in bunches, as you saw today with uh, Oak State. I really think their ceiling is high. I, I think there's a world where TCU could be the best team in the Big 12. Um, I don't know if the value is there. You know, as you mentioned, we have 20-1 to 1 on them. I wouldn't recommend a bet at 20-1. to 1. 
you know, you could press me and say I think 35 or 40 might be worth a bet. I, I look for teams that have potential to get better in March, and, and they strike me as one of those teams. You know, they've had the injuries now. They're still playing They're still playing well despite not great results, but I think they could put it together, and I, and I like Jamie Dixon, and that, that would probably be my team if I had to pick one, TCU. Yeah, and TCU as high as 40 to 1 at some books, so still potentially a good number, especially with, again, like you said, maybe buying at the right time with Miles just coming back and Eddie Lampkin still kind of working his way back 14 minutes to Day. in foul trouble though and dealing with some injuries as well but uh, you mentioned Kansas another team that I hated on in my recent article over at the lines.com so we're on the same page Xavier the other among the three being Purdue Kansas and Xavier Musketeers scoring at a very efficient rate but defensively bottom I want to say outside the top 90 in college basketball in adjusted D this season even with Sean Miller back in town over to the SEC Tennessee at 17 to 1. They were projected to be a number three seed in the NCAA tournament's mock bracketology today. And short favorite at Kentucky, but the Cats sweep that regular season series without CJ Frederick or Severe Wheeler. Granted, Wheeler has kind of played his way into the backup role with John Calipari finally getting his rotation right a little bit with Kaysen Wallace taking over that point guard spot full time in the starting lineup. Kentucky out-rebounded Tennessee in these two games, plus 28 on the glass. Now, the Cats are 55-1 to to win it all. Cason Wallace, I mentioned him, 16-6-6 against the Vols today. What's your perception of both of those teams going into March? I know you kind of said earlier Tennessee could be Jekyll or Hyde, but do you think Kentucky could be at a point in the season? Maybe it would have been before today's game, but a little bit of buy low in the market? Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't argue with you if you told me, you know, Kentucky at 55 to 1. I mean, I don't know what their seed's going to be, but, you know, it probably won't be too bad. And they're a team that has, obviously, again, a, a high ceiling and that they get it straightened out into March. They could, they could definitely beat some people. And, you know, what we've seen, we discussed it earlier, but the home courts and the spots in these games have just been so important. And, you know, you really don't even know what you have anymore because it seems like everybody wins at home. And if you're coming off a bad loss and the other team's coming off a big win, you're going to, you're going to beat that team. And it gets factored in the line to a ridiculous degree. I mean, you see games like Alabama minus two at Auburn the other day. Um, trying to think. I mean, the Tennessee-Kentucky line, to me, I actually thought you know that was a little high. But I don't know. It just seems like the spots are more built in than past years, and you really have to build them into your handicapping. And if you're not if you're not playing these spots or at least factoring them into your line, then you're you're probably not going to have that great results. So, hundred percent. And over to some of the longer shots here as we look at the rest of the college hoops futures odds board. Indiana. I don't know how high you are on them, but I bet them at fifty-five to one at circa going back to last week, and their price still at fifty to one at circa, but as low as twenty-five to one at some legal sports books. The Hoosiers have won nine of their last ten games. Still no Xavier Johnson, but he's expected to come back at least before the big dance, maybe hopefully for my sake before the Big Ten tournament, just to get his legs underneath him a bit. Hoosiers were projected to be a number four seed in the mock bracketology. I was kind of surprised, and that was before they beat Illinois today. UConn, a team that has a full body of work and is starting to come along better defensively down the stretch. They had their struggles in the early portion of Big East play, but they were not listed among any of the any of the top 16 seats in the mock bracketology. So maybe you want to speak to that a little bit. And they're high at some sports books. I don't know where they're exactly their position at Circa, but just generally speaking with some of these long shots. I mentioned Indiana. San Diego State, another interesting team with a ball screen defense under Brian Dutcher that's coming along a late. Really good guard play at Matt Bradley and Darion Trammell, the transfer 
from a mid-major going into this season. Hoosiers interest you at all, Aztecs, or any other long shots that you might be looking at? No, and I'm just not a long shot person until we get to the tournament. I mean, the only way to play teams that aren't within four to six points of the best team to me is Moneyline Parlays once the tournament starts. You're just not going to get value betting these teams at this point. Um, you know, I, again, I, I have some of these in my portfolio that I don't think have a chance that I made earlier in the year because I thought they had potential to be higher. Indiana... To me, they just they haven't played to a number to me where they're within six points of Houston. And, you know, the only exception I'll make, and I know that the Big, the Big Ten is number two in Ken Palm's conference ratings, if I've missed on the Big Ten, that's probably your best shot. If the odds makers are kind of undervaluing Big Ten, then just overall they're much better than, than I understand, you know, then maybe I could buy it. But I, I, just, I just don't see it. I see that, um, you know, there's a bulk of these or teams that are just kind of trapped in this kind of one kind of area, whether it's Michigan State, um, you know, Rutgers, like Penn State, not Penn State, but Northwestern's even creeping in there. I know I'm forgetting teams also, but but there's a bunch of these teams, and, and I know Indiana has separated themselves as kind of like the second cut. I mean, maybe Illinois is right there, um, the second cut above, kind of, or right below Purdue, but I, I don't know. I, I don't see any of those Big Ten teams making a ton of noise, but that said, I mean, I do trust the Ken Palm conference rating, so I'm open to be proven wrong on that. If the, if the Big Ten is just a much better conference than I understand, and all of those teams are just better than I think, you know, then, then it could be a good bet. You know, that, that's what I'll, I'll give you. Right. It also depends on how, I mean, not to say on a, not just on a game-by-game basis in the tournament, but how refs call a team like Purdue, just going back to the Boilermakers, because... Zach Eady against Texas going back to that round of 32 game. I think Purdue shot about 50 free throws in that game, and that's not an exaggeration. But then you watch Maryland and Purdue the other night, and Eady was getting hacked a ton, or at least similar to that Texas game last year with the Terps. But again, refs kind of favored Maryland a bit in that game. Eady doesn't get calls. Maryland takes advantage in transition, especially in the second half. So if that, if that happens in a tournament setting for a team like Indiana with a star like Trace Jackson Davis, and he doesn't get calls. That's the kind of player like Edie that relies on getting to the line because he's not a mid-range shooter, can't space the floor, has to attack the rim off the dribble or on post-up touches. So that's kind of why I like a team like Indiana, just going back to the parity point, because you look at a season like 2013-2014 where you had a team like UConn win it all. Shabazz Napier or Ryan Boatwright weren't superstar status in comparison to Jackson Davis, but to make a run in the parity-filled season, you need a star. So I know you mentioned going back to your original point about filling up your futures portfolio from front to bottom in terms of looking at the market and betting a team like Houston from the get-go. But for me, I'm looking at maybe taking a long shot in the season like this. Yeah, it's it's a philosophical approach for me. I, I just don't see... You know, I've been doing this 20 years and betting a lot of futures, and I, and I don't see the the value when you get these teams that you have 100 to one, and they're a dog in every game, and you're you know, money line rollover a little more. Yeah, you're a, you're a dog by the by the third round, or you know, it, it just it, it doesn't work. You, you you're you're way better off just betting, like you said, the money line rollover. Um, you just you need to be betting futures with the thought that is. You know, my team is going to be a favored in at least a few games before it kind of gets into there. And, and when you're a dog by the second or third round, there's just that's really way I have to ask yourself. If you're a dog early in the tournament, you have no <laughs> business betting this team. You know, in futures bets, you need you need to be betting the money line parlay. So. That's Matt Metcalf. Remember, the lines is giving away a twenty-five dollar Amazon gift card in our daily college hoops pick'em contest. For more details, head over to play.thelines.com and subscribe to the lines on Apple Podcasts and on YouTube. 
wherever you find your favorite podcasts as well. Matt Metcalf at Double M Pact on Twitter, the director of Circus Sports. Always appreciate you coming on podcasts and other things I've worked on in the past, man. One of the best people in the industry, not only to know, but to talk about futures because you do this yourself and you did this yourself for a long time. Like you said, you bet you're on your own pretty much before you started working in the sportsbook industry. So very insightful conversation, Matt. Cool. Thanks for having me, Eli. Appreciate it. Remember to subscribe to the Lions Podcast wherever you find your favorite podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.